Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. going to take us for the next few weeks. And so uh, not only are we doing I Am on Sunday morning, but we're doing I Am in these small groups throughout the week. And so uh, I'm excited. What a cool series. The basis of this series is simple, is that in the book of John, the gospel of John, when he wrote his story of how he interacted with Jesus, walked with Jesus, when he wanted to record the life and teachings of Jesus, he did it differently than the other guys. He didn't write it in a historical layout. He wrote it in the sense of like, I just want to share with you what I think are like my most personal moments with Jesus. And he hangs the whole book of John on seven major miracles that Jesus performed and seven major statements that Jesus made. And of course, out of these statements, we find these huge ideas like when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's trying to declare that he is God. That's really his big deal. But also with that, he's trying to help you understand how you relate to God, because here's the reality. You know, in essence, what Jesus is saying is saying, You're dead, but I bring things back to life. When he declared, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, You're hungry. But I'm the substance that satisfies. That's how we relate. Like you have a need and I am here to meet that need. You have something going on inside of you and I want to help and to heal and to restore and to mend. And and that happens when you begin to understand who Jesus really is and then connect to him. And so today we'll look at a brand new I am statement that Jesus made. Now, all of these statements have a context. Everybody say context. Meaning like if you just heard Jesus get up and say, I am the bread of life. He would sound a bit like a guru. You know what I mean? He'd sound a bit like, oh, okay, like namaste, you know, whatever. And so, you know, but, but when Jesus says these statements, they're not goofy and weird or, or out of the box. He's not being a guru. They're in a very specific context. So like the context of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life is, well, there was a, there was a, there was a dead guy there. And he brought him back to life. And so that's the context. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he had just fed 5,000 people and they wanted Jesus to keep on feeding. And they talked about God giving people manna in in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus. And they're like, you should be like God. You should just give us food every day. And Jesus is like, you're missing it. I'm I'm not that. I'm I'm the bread of life. I satisfy the longing of your soul, not just giving you a happy meal one afternoon. And so it's, it's so much deeper that. And so today when we look at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, once again, it has a context to it. And here's the context to it. John chapter 7, verse number 14 says this. It says, not until halfway through the festival. Everybody say the festival. And there's a festival going on. This is the context. This is a big deal. Uh, halfway through the festival, um, Jesus, uh, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach? And the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And so the context here is, is a really, really big idea for these people. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. John was a Jew. He was in Jerusalem for the feast. Everybody say the feast. So the feast that really sets the tone and the backdrop and the context for this statement, I am the light of the world, is what they referred to as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. They would have called it Sukkot. And so um, this was what they celebrated. Now, if you you know anything about Jewish history, is that when they came into the promised land, when they came out of Egypt as slaves, God speaks to Moses, they institute a lot. And one of the things they institute is seven major feasts. They had three bunched together in the early spring and then one in the later spring. 
And then in the fall, they bunched together three more, making seven total. I know that's a lot. You don't need to remember. There's no quiz afterwards. But just know that these feasts were like huge, big. To them, it was like mandatory. You've got to go to Jerusalem. You've got to celebrate. You've got to participate. You need to be a part of this. And these feasts all did mainly two things. Number one is it pointed them back to what God had done for them. But it also pointed them forward to what a Messiah would eventually do again for them. And so it's in the middle of this Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, again, that Jesus stands up and makes these bold declarations. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to the Feast of Tabernacles, you know what the big deal was? Like the big deal was they literally built tents. Like think about that. You think about like, you ever wonder like, in, in, let's say if the, if the earth continues and we're here in a thousand years and they're like, you know, back in, in the 21st century in America, they used to take a tree and they chop it down. And they put it in their house. And they put tinsel around it. And they'd hang ornaments. They'd be like, why do they do that? And, you know, we, we, they're going to have their reasons for why they hung a tree. You know, like, they took, they took Easter eggs that supposedly came from a bunny, which is biologically impossible. But they would hide them. And then kids would run out. And, you know, you, you know like, people are going to one day look at our, our traditions, our, 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 our holidays. This was a holiday to them. And their big idea behind the holiday was this, is they built tents. Literally in their backyard or on the top of their roof, they would build a tent. And many of them would live in that tent for seven days or at least to go out and hang out in your tent. You'd make a meal and eat in your tent. And this was the idea because it played on this idea that we want to stay connected to our roots. We want to stay connected to the fact that our people, when they were slaves coming out of Egypt, that they wandered in a desert for almost 40 years. And you know what they lived in? You guys are so smart. They lived in tents. And so, as a matter of fact, they had this one thing where they had a specific offering they would bring. And when they brought the offering, they would literally have to make a declaration that my ancestors were wandering Arameans living in tents. And that was a part of their offering. It was just to remind them. So, like, like, like one of the, let's just boil this down. One of the spiritual truths that they wanted to take from the Feast of Tabernacles was this. Is that you need to remember where you came from. Like one of the best things that you can do as you journey with God is to remember where you came from. Don't ever get so far away from your past. Now listen, I want you to get away from your past in terms of what you were doing. But never get so far away that you forget who you were, that you forget that you were lost, that you were seeking, that you were desperate. Don't never forget some of the foolish decisions you made and why you made them. Don't ever get removed from what God did for you. Never get removed from what God brought you out of. Never get so far away. Never get so holy and so righteous that you forget that you were once like everybody else. You were lost and you were wandering. And you needed God to come rescue you. Don't ever get so far. So we live in booths. Here's one of the other ideas that we can take from this. Is that this is not our home. We're simply just passing through. Like one of the big ideas is this. Like you, you need to get this as a Christian. This is, this is painted throughout the New Testament. This is not necessarily your permanent residence. You're just passing through. And so, like, listen to what Peter says. He, he plays this, on this idea. He said, dearly beloved, I urge you as strangers and, everybody say pilgrims. I, yeah, you're a stranger. Meaning, like, you're a foreigner. You're an alien, one translation says. You're a pilgrim. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And he goes on to talk about more. But his idea is this. Like, you need to get an idea that this is not your permanent residence. You are passing through. So don't get so attached 
to everything in this world. Because that's what we do, don't we? We get so attached in our fears. We get attached in our worries. We get attached in our greed. We get attached in our materialism. We get so caught up with the things of this earth and the things of this world. We get so wore out with what's coming tomorrow or next week or the next month. And we lose sight of the fact that you don't spend forever right here in Livermore, California. You're going to die eventually. You're going to go to heaven. That there is an eternity beyond this life. And this life is the little life. There's a much bigger one coming. Let, let, let me put it like this. Somebody said it like this. You need to grasp the idea that you are not a, a human being trying to take a spiritual journey. But rather you are a spiritual being who's taking a very short human journey. So you're just passing through. You're living in a tent right now. So that house that you don't like, don't worry, you ain't going to live there forever. That house that you think I so desperately wish I could live with, don't be so desperate you ain't going to live there forever either, even if you got it. You are simply passing through. What would that do? What would that change in your heart and your mind and how you treated other people to realize like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa it's okay, it's okay. This is just this is short term. This is temporary. Maybe I shouldn't get so bitter. Maybe I shouldn't get so angry. Maybe eternity hangs in the balance somewhere, somehow, and I need to be careful how I treat this other person. Maybe I need to be careful in how I respond. Why? Because I'm just passing through. I'm not permanent here. Eternity always matters. That's one of the big ideas. And so anyway, inside of the Feast of Tabernacles, they added two traditions. Everybody say traditions. So traditions, how many know like there's stuff... That, that we add to Christmas. Like, I don't know why we do a tree. That ain't in the Bible. Little baby Jesus didn't have no tree. <laughs> okay, resurrection, there was no bunny. Okay, that comes from other weird pagan stuff. You can take it or leave it. So my, my point is, is that we add traditions to stuff. And sometimes they're really cool. And sometimes they're really weird and probably shouldn't be there. But they added two traditions that Moses never told them to do. And these are the two traditions. The first tradition that they gave them was called the water pouring ceremony. What they would do is this, is that they would travel to, because you got to remember like the city had gates and there's gates, every gate had names and there was different like pools around the city, around the temple. And so they would go to the pool of Siloam and then they would dip and take a big bucket from the pool of Siloam and they'd go back to the brazen altar that was a part of the temple. This is all like old school, Old Testament stuff. And they would just pour it out there. And this was like a big deal. Like they'd all make like a big... You know, like Kunga line, everybody was, okay, brother, let's go get the water. And they'd all go get the water. And they're like, oh, let's go back, everybody. And they was, there was tons of singing and celebrating. This wasn't like, you know, like a drab experience. Everybody was excited. Let's go get the water, you know, that kind of thing. And so they go get the water and they pour it on the brazen altar. And why they did this tradition was to remind them that while they were in the wilderness living in tents, that at one point they kind of didn't have any water. And there was this moment where Moses struck a rock and it basically opened up a well of some kind. And, and all of a sudden God had provided water for them. And, and again, this is kind of the big idea. I need to regularly remind myself that God is my provider. That's, isn't that why we kind of do traditions? Isn't that why we celebrate holidays? It is to make sure that every year we have a moment that we reflect and we remember. And we never want to get too far from a moment where we really focus on the fact that God is and always has been my provider. I'll prove it to you. You're here today. You still have life. You're still hanging on. As far as I can tell, everybody has some clothing on them. There's bagels in the back if you're hungry. I mean, like, you're, sti you're still hanging in there. You have life. 
And for some of you, life is, is much more abundant and life is a bit of a struggle for other of you. But you, we, we, God is still wanting to be your provider. Not, not only is that, but here was one of the other big ideas is that God doesn't just satisfy my physical thirst. He also wants to satisfy my spiritual thirst. So yeah, like you got to remember that when they look back at the Old Testament, it wasn't just um, physical things. They believed that they were symbolic things. And so it was God being my provider, not just in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. And so they had a tradition to help remind them of this idea. The second tradition, now this is interesting, is called the grand illumination. Now there's a couple different ways they did this throughout history, but here's kind of the big gist. They had these giant menorahs that they put kind of in the temple and at the top of the temple. And I can't remember, I wrote it down because I would mess it up and I probably should have memorized. They had four menorah lamps that stood 150 feet high, each one having a 20-gallon tub to put oil in it. That's a pretty big deal, huh? And so this is, this is what they would do is they would go and light this big, these four big, huge menorahs. Hey, you know what they used for the wick? Um, the priest worn out underwear. That's pretty much like, you know, because they'd have the priestly robe. I'm not making this up. This is, go read your Jewish encyclopedia. And so they would have these big priestly gowns, but then underneath them, they'd have like the, under, the priestly undergarments. And there was, a, there was a law, if you know this or not, but there was a law that said the priest could never go unless he had his underwear on. There was like specific, like, don't you go up in their commando style. Like, you better put your underwear on. And they were specific about, I'm not, this is just in the Bible. You should read your Bible. There's fascinating things in there. And so they took the undergarments from the priest that I guess, you know, because eventually stuff wears out, you get a hole in your underwear, and that's what they used as the wick. I, maybe y'all shouldn't have known that. I'm sorry. Let's, we'll just rewind. I never said that. Just strike that from the record. We can delete that from the recording. That never happened. And so my bad. You, when you study and you read stuff and you have facts and information floating around in your head and you get up and talk about it, stuff just comes out. And that's but that's really what happened. So anyway, but my point was, is that as they would light this thing and it would literally make the temple glow and the whole city could see this light from really, really far off. And again, it was this, it was a play on what they experienced walking through the wilderness because when they were walking through the wilderness, it said that they had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and that's what guided them. And so this was one of the big takeaways is that God guides me through my wilderness. See, some of you are in a spiritual wilderness, a physical wilderness. Some of you are just struggling through life right now. You feel a little bit lost. You feel like things aren't the way they ought to be. Like, God, that's why your prayer request list is longer than normal. And like, you just want things to come together. And you feel like, I feel like I'm in a desert. I feel like I'm in a wilderness. And I need God to show up and answer prayers and provide. And, and God, why am I going through this? And God wants you to know, like, hey, I'm with you through this entire thing. As a matter of fact, let's, let's see this real quick here. It's the cloud and the fire was a reminder that God was still with them. Because every day when they woke up, if the cloud was still there, every night if the fire was still there, they knew. Even if I don't feel like I'm where I belong and I'm where I'm supposed to be, at least I know that he's with me. And sometimes that's the greatest comfort of all, and this is what they called the grand illumination. So, literally, you got a bunch of Jewish people that travel to Jerusalem and they live in tents and they carry water and they light things on fire and they have this incredible celebration of singing and praising and, and offerings and sacrifices and all this stuff to remind them of these deep spiritual truths. They would never get so far away from them as to always be reminded that God was with them, that God was their provider, remembering where they came from, all, all this cool stuff. But remember, this is just the context. I mean, I'm just telling you this stuff so you know where Jesus is. Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is what's going on 
all around him. And I want you to know that Jesus is fulfilling and wanting to fulfill and still yet to fulfill parts of this incredible feast. So for example, remember we said that there were tabernacles, there were tents that they lived in? Check out John chapter 1. This is what Jesus says, or, or this is what John says about Jesus. It says that the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Literally, this is the same word they would have used that Jesus was tabernacling amongst them. Do you know what that means? Is that even though you're living in a tent and you feel like this is my little dwelling, I want you to know that Jesus came to earth. And for most of us in this room, Jesus now lives in our heart and he is tabernacling with us. Is that a word? Can I say tabernacling? It's a word now. He's tabernacling with us. He's dwelling with us. I just want you to get this idea. Like, like for example, in the book of Revelation, it says that, that, that God will make his dwelling with us. Like right now, God is in heaven and we feel like we're here. And there's, there's God's presence here, but it's not like we can see him and be around him. But the Bible says that in heaven, in the age to come, that he will live on a new heaven, a new earth, and he will make his dwelling with us. This is ultimately what God wants. Is that Je- this is the point, is that Jesus is journeying with us. Jesus is tabernacling with us. Are you feeling me so far? So like, remember the pouring of the water? Remember they would go to the Pool of Salaam and they'd do the big praise line and they would bring the water back and pour it on the tabernacle? It's in the middle of this ceremony, this tradition, that Jesus says these words. Listen to this, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, when they would do this water pouring ceremony, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who thirsts or who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so the point was is that Jesus is the one who quenches our thirst. So like you're living in tents, but I want you to know that Jesus is actually, he's tenting with you. He's, you're living camp style. Jesus is camping with you. You're thirsty and there's a water and a rock and a Moses and a people and we remember that God's our provider, but it's Jesus saying, I'm the one that quenches your thirst. Remember that, that, that tradition called the grand illumination? Remember they would light the big four menorahs, 150 feet high, 20 gallons of oil, and this thing is rocking with priest undergarments and the whole place is lit up. Everybody say context. This is the context where Jesus makes this bold declaration. He says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How awesome is this? Is that Jesus in the middle of this great feast and this grand ceremony and all these cool traditions, he's like... I know you're doing the water thing, but I'm, I'm the one that quenches your thirst. I know, I know you got the light thing, but I am the light of the world. This is what Jesus is saying to us, that he is our light and he is our life, if you're taking notes. This is how Jesus is declaring that he is God by declaring himself the great I am. But he's also declaring how he relates to you, which is this. Again, you are dead, but Jesus brings resurrection. You are hungry, but he's the one that satisfies you. You, me, living in darkness. But he wants to be the light to our world. 
That's how you relate to Jesus. And when I recognize that I'm living in darkness and I need Jesus to be the light of my life and the light of my world, then all of a sudden I'm in the right place in my relationship with God. Because without him, I go back to living in darkness. I'll prove it to you. When you think about light, let's, let's talk about light real quick here. Light, just so you know, was like this huge idea all throughout, especially the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like light was huge. Listen to these scriptures here. Arise and shine for your light has come. Isaiah 60, uh, Isaiah 9, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalms 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. First John 1, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Interestingly enough, Genesis begins with what? In the, you remember the opening verse? Of it? In the beginning, God. And then God said, let there be what? So what's the first thing God created? Light. light. Yeah, light is it. As a matter of fact, when you get to the book of Revelation, this is fascinating. When you read the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 5, it says this, there will be no more night. And there will be no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their Light. This is some cool stuff. And so Jesus, and so this is, this is, again, this is what Jesus wants to be in your life. He's declaring that he's God, but he's declaring how you relate to him. And you've got to get out of living in darkness and start living in light. Let's talk about this real quick here. Light, number one is this. Light is a source, I say power. Light is a source of power. If you don't know that, you know, we, we live in California. We, we, you know, we have things on our roof that take power from light, right? And we get a discount on our electric bill. And so you know, and again, when you take light, you can do so many things with it, but light is always seen as a source of power. Number two is this, is light brings illumination. This is why on the side of my house where the trash cans are, I have a, a censored light, a motion light. You know why? Because I'm tired of taking out the trash and that's why I had kids. And so my 12-year-old I'm like, take out the trash. And he's like, man, it's dark out there. I'm like, dude, don't sweat out. I put a big old, where's Greg? Greg put a bigger light. I had a light. Greg put a bigger light out there on the side. Because I was tired of that kid being like, it's dark out there. I don't care if it's dark. There's a light. <laughs> My little girl who's uh, in a different scenario, she's only six. But, you know, if God forbid I, I tuck her in and don't turn on the night light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So light is a source of illumination. It just helps me see a little bit better. And, and listen, light, light promotes growth in life. If, you, if all of you out there who are, are little uh, plant people and botanists, and my wife, my wife planted a tree yesterday. Y'all should be so proud of her. She used to have a black thumb for years, and she killed, she killed, she was like the grim reaper of plant life. And, 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 and I'm telling you what, God did a miracle in her life, and now she grows things, and she has plants and, and fruit things, and, and she has a little, gar, little garden beds. And I'm telling you what, she did so good, she, she planted an avocado tree yesterday. But you know, how I many know, like, you need... Light. Light is essential. It promotes growth and light. I could go on and on about this idea. I mean, we're talking about between the vitamin D, we're talking about killing bacteria. Uh, we're talking about light bringing healing. We're talking about light affecting the chemical balance. How many know, like, this is, this is why people that live sometimes in the northwest part of the country, they have drops in, in melatonin, and then they, they end up with a disorder that's called SAD. Why do y'all think I stuff I say is funny? I'm not trying to be funny. It's called seasonal affective disorder. Why? Because there's no sunlight up there. People are mopey. Anyway, I'm just kidding. So anyway, light promotes growth. Listen, listen. Number four is this. is light warms and comforts. 
There's just something comforting about knowing that there's a light on, there's a nightlight, there's a campfire. It's just there's something about it. Number five is this. This is interesting thought I threw down. We relate to light in terms of distance. Think about it. Because you can concentrate light. Were you a mean kid as a, with the magnifying glass? Anybody did that as a kid and you were real mean to the little animals and little ants? And you, yeah, I see you nodding your head over there. Yeah, you fried an ant. Yeah, just to see if it would work sometimes. And, so, and, and, and now you feel bad. But at the time, it was interesting and you were scientific at that point in time. And so, but my point is you can concentrate light. And because of, because I mean, know this, the, the closer you are to light, the more powerful it becomes. But the further away that you get from light, the dimmer and less powerful it becomes so you relate. This is all going to make sense in a second here. Lastly, I'll just throw this out is that darkness is not a force, it's only the absence of light. That's an interesting thought. D- darkness is not a force, darkness can never go. You could take all the darkness in the universe, and it doesn't have the power to take out one single candle because darkness is not a force, it's just the absence of light. Are you tracking with me right now? So, we're talking about light, but what we're really talking about. It's Jesus. So, so let, me, let me just put it like this. Is that Jesus is a source of power. It, it, it's that Jesus brings illumination. It, it's that Jesus promotes growth and life. It's that Jesus warms and comforts. Like I, I said this, we relate to light in terms of distance. Mm, we relate to Jesus in terms of distance. Because the closer we are, the more powerful he becomes. And yet the further and further we get from him, the dimmer the light becomes. And again, darkness is not a force. It's actually just the absence of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is declaring in this great festival on this great day is that I am the light of the world. And what Jesus wants to be in you is this, is he wants to pull you out of darkness. He wants to bring power and illumination. He wants to bring growth and warmth and comfort. He wants to be the thing that gives you what you're looking for and what you need in this life. Listen to this last verse and I'm done. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six is an interesting verse. I remember listening to a teacher recently, and he was explaining the Apostle Paul wrote this. Now, the Apostle Paul was a Jewish man who was in a Greek city living in the Roman Empire. Let me say that again. Jesus, Paul was a Jewish man uh, in a Greek city, Corinth, and then he was underneath the Roman Empire. And, and we talked about this, that light was such a big idea to the Jewish people, right? This is what they pursued. They believed that light was everything. Well, the, to the Greeks, knowledge was everything. Like they always pursued, like think about all your Greek mythologists and Greek philosophers and great knowledge was everything. And then for, 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 for Rome, glory was everything, right? This is the, the, the glory of Rome. And so Paul speaks, and listen to what he says here, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, For God said, let light shine out of the darkness. God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Is that they were pursuing glory, others were pursuing knowledge, the Jews were pursuing light, and Jesus embodied them all. Jesus is what you are looking for today. He is the light of the world. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you today 
for your words. God, we thank you that, that, that some 2,000 years ago, there was a feast and a festival and traditions and, and, and things were going on. And in that moment, you stood up and you made it so clear to us that you are God, but you are also the thing and how we relate to you. You are the thing that gives us power. You are the person that gives us warmth and comfort and growth. And God, you are the very thing that we need in our life. And so God, I pray that as a people, with darkness, that we would stop living in sin and living in foolishness or just living on our own completely apart from you. Because God, it is only with you and in your presence we have light and we have life. And so God, I pray that you would illuminate our minds, that you would bring comfort to our hearts, that you would give us the power, God, to overcome. God, help us to look to you and depend on you and trust in you, Lord, as the light of the world. That is our prayer today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.